0: This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world, and while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not, because they're real. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. You already know by the theme song. What show? Oh no, we're playing it again. Annie, you are supposed to get that. Oh, no. Anyways, guys, you guys already know what show it is. This is Water Cooler Talk, the number one rated comedy news podcast in both the UK and Minnesota combined, where we take strange and interesting real-life news stories and break them down for you to help your small talk game. Today, we are joined by special guest host and the host with the coolest last name in the business, Annie Youngblood. How are you doing today, Annie? Really great. Feeling it? You feeling to talk some controversy, some throw out some jokes that are going to make our audience laugh like they've never laughed before?
1: Oh, it's only my favorite pastime.
0: Anyways, how it works is we take strange and interesting real-life news stories and we break them down for you. Because people have trouble with their small talk. You do orientations, right? And you need... There's downtime or there's time where you need to connect with your people. What do you call your people in your group?
1: Uh, You have your incoming first-year students.
0: So you need to connect with those incoming first-year students. And sometimes you don't want to talk about the school all the time. What if you could talk to them a crazy news story, like a woman who her children just freaking burned her like crazy in her obituary. What if you could talk about that with your first-year students? They're going to be super impressed. They're going to be like, this girl knows what she's talking about.
1: Yeah, I imagine.
0: That is what we are here to do at Watercool. All right, Annie, so just for our audience, let me ask you this question. If you could be any dog in the world, what dog would you be? This is this is how the audience will perceive you, so make sure to think of something good.
1: Good, okay. Today I met a dog named Chloe. She was really beautiful. She was walking around campus. She was super friendly, a little bit wet because she just ran through a fountain. She was very slobbery, and I always equate slobbery dogs with happy dogs. I don't know if that's a fair association. It's kind of like how I usually associate people with rosy cheeks to also be very happy and jolly. Probably because of Santa, but who knows. But Chloe was a mix between a German Shepherd and a Golden Retriever. And I think that's a great combination because intelligence and loyalty of Golden Retriever, I'm sorry, of uh, a German Shepherd, Golden Retriever, energy and fun. Hopefully that's me.
0: A golden retriever and a, what was it, German Shepherd? German Shepherd. Interesting mix. How does that dog look? It must have been an interesting looking dog.
1: So it was almost exactly like a golden retriever, except for the face shape was much more shepherd-y. Got it. If that makes sense. A little point I'm going to look up a
0: photo. I want you to take over the podcast, keep the people entertained when I look up this photo.
1: Oh, I can try to do my best. Um,
0: Doing so, great.
1: <laughs> today I crashed my bike.
0: Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell that story?
1: Yeah, it's really great. Um, I
0: told you previously not to tell the story (laughs) on the podcast, but you just went for it. Go for it. You know, I think the fact that you told me
1: not to share made me more inclined to share it. Yeah, so I was uh, biking home. I was kind of in a rush because I was getting home late from work. And the garage at the bottom of my apartment building um, this morning, as I was leaving, I noticed that the garage door was closed. And typically throughout the summer, it's open. So I was like, oh, that's weird. Annie, remember to check the garage as you're biking home so that you don't crash into it. So I was thinking about it. And I was wearing my sunglasses and it was quite bright outside because it was a beautiful sunshiny day in Minnesota. And I looked at the garage and it was very dark. And so my brain told me, hey, it's a really deep garage with no lights on. So I just kept going full speed at the garage, crashed, and <laughs> then I had just smudges on my face, my shoulder, lots of scrapes on my knuckles. My bike got a little damaged, which was a bummer. And some people looked over and then walked away, which is kind of a bummer. Really?
0: You didn't tell me that part.
1: I know. it's It, it was shameful because I clearly didn't care about me. <laughs>
0: I honestly, being honest, I would have laughed if I saw it, but then I would have went over to help you.
1: I'm sure you would. And I'm surprised these people didn't. I was getting on the elevator to go back up to my room and man came off the elevator, looked at me and said, you have a little something on your cheek. (laughs) And I was like, you know, I just crashed into a garage door. And then when I got up to my room, it was not a little something on my cheek. It was in fact, my entire cheek had been blackened (laughs) by this garage door. So that was, that was an event.
0: Well, people that's, that's how people are going to remember you now is you want to be a German Shepherd, golden retriever who runs into garage doors. Awesome. Well, let's get into crazy ex-girlfriends. Have you ever had a crazy ex-boyfriend? No, I have not. Lucky, lucky you. But speaking of crazy ex-girlfriends, musician wins $2,600,000 in lawsuit against ex-girlfriend who sabotaged career. This is from the National Public Radio. Eric Abramovitz, I think that's how you pronounce it. We're just going to go with it. Eric, please tweet at me if it's wrong. Is a gifted clarinetist who received national attention when he was still in his teens. As a student of McGill University, Eric applied for one of two spots at the prestigious Colburn Conservatory in Los Angeles, where he would study under the famed clarinet teacher Yehuda Gilad, a launching pad for a young clarinetist. Are you into Woodwind. woodwinds? Are you I into woodwinds? I
1: did, in fact, play the clarinet for eight years.
0: Oh, so you, so you have some knowledge on this.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very knowledgeable about woodwinds.
0: Do you know... Who Who Yehuda Gilad is?
1: No, I don't.
0: (laughs) Wow. All right. I brought you in here for your prestigious clarinet playing, but it's not paying off. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, after making through the audition phase, Eric had received an email telling him he had been rejected by the conservatory, which led to some really dark, sad, angry days. So Eric, he feels like he he's been told that he's this top prestigious player. He auditions for this prestigious position. He thinks he nails it. Doesn't get the spot. He's sad because obviously you work your whole life for something. You don't get it. That's going to mess you up. Months after his rejection from Colburn and after he and Jennifer, so Jennifer is his girlfriend at the time of this audition, had broken up. Eric auditioned for a less prestigious spot that would sometimes work under Gilad. So he would still work under him, but not as much as the other spot. Um, His girlfriend at the time, Jennifer Lee, another musician at McGill, consoled him in his dark days, as hopefully a girlfriend would do. But this girlfriend may not be as good as she seems. It was during these additions where the wheels in Eric head started to turn. Eric had asked Gilad why he had been rejected and forwarded him the rejection email. Gilad responded by saying he had never seen this email before. duh dun, dun,
1: that
0: in. With Gilad's assurance, Eric and a friend went about trying to find the owner of the fake email address that had been attached to the rejection email. In a last resort option, Eric, who had once shared a computer with Jennifer, tried her password. It logged right in. This is, first off, this is like the making of like a TV show type movie or some, this guy could easily make a movie about this. Absolutely. But the truth was, Eric had actually made it into the Colburn Conservatory. Before he was able to see his acceptance email, Jennifer had gotten to it first and sabotaged his career. All because she didn't want him to move from Montreal California. Imagine how insane of a person you must be to ruin someone's whole life, basically, because you don't want them to move to another. I guess it's another country, but still, that's insane. I I can't even wrap my head around why someone would do that.
1: Have you ever heard the song Crazy in Love, Adam?
0: Have you ever been that crazy in love, though, that you would literally do something like this? I don't think... I've definitely... Okay, okay. I've definitely been in moments where love has kind of put my brain over what I'm supposed to be doing.
1: Right. And honestly, I think that we, our culture romanticizes love to a point where we don't know exactly what to do with it.
0: I, I think that's very true. It's a very strong emotion. Right. I think love and death are probably your two strongest emotions. Or death. Death. Like, what would be the emotion associated with death? Sadness.
1: Despair.
0: Like, love, despair, hopelessness. I think those are really sometimes the two driving forces behind everyone's decision. Like, oh, I'm going to ruin my boyfriend's career because I love him so much because I'm so sad if he'll leave. Look how I made that connection. Wow. Uh, But so Eric ended up suing Jennifer and was awarded more than $2,600,000 in damages as the judge ruled him a victim of deception by Jennifer. While Eric's music career may have been delayed by the deception, it hasn't derailed. He is now an associate principal E-flat clarinist at the Toronto Symphony. And he has a new girlfriend, uh, who's actually Jennifer in disguise. She's coming back for revenge.
1: Oh, wouldn't that be the best story?
0: that That would be the perfect movie ending. That would be like the sequel, the ending to the first movie. It's right. just Jennifer takes off her mask uh-huh. or takes off. She's like named like Yennefer. Jennifer. Jennifer <laughs> takes off her mask. Yeah. Duh, 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 it's Jennifer.
1: Like some 12th night nonsense.
0: <laughs> so Eric ended up suing Jennifer for $260,000. I forgot to mention Jennifer didn't show off for court. So it was an easy win for Eric. But do you think the punishment fits the crime?
1: Yes. I think I would say yes why primarily because i don't personally i put a lot of value in stock in careers and this man was trying to pursue a career and had the opportunity to do so and at such a level that he would have been making a lot of money doing it and this woman took that away from him. And I think there was a quote in that article that said, it felt like I was being simultaneously stabbed in the heart and the back, which is so dramatic, and I love it. But he has suffered not only the damage of loss of the trampoline into his career, but also emotional damage from having somebody that you trusted so much do something so powerful and life-changing. I mean, it's great that he was able to proceed and still have a good chair. Well,
0: the thing is, I'm thinking of his Jennifer's never going to be able to pay this. That's a crazy amount. If someone sued me for $260,000, I would never be able to pay them back.
1: I thought about that too. I wonder, I mean, is it going to be like a payment plan?
0: Probably, like, probably like a deferment of her wages or something, like, a portion of her wages will go to paying him.
1: I hope she does okay.
0: I mean, like we talked about, love is makes you stupid. I think the punishment is too much. Okay. I definitely like the point you said about being stabbed and both the heart and the career, basically. But I think to fake one email is not worth $260,000. I could definitely see... I don't think you can put a monetary value on heartbreak. Um... <laughs> oh, man.
1: This is so existential. I just feel that, like... That, I, you can put a value on this mistake, though.
0: I mean, I think you can put a value on wasting a year of his career, a year of his talent. I don't know if clarinists, like, are affected by age at all. Is maybe a stupid question.
1: Typically, age makes you better because you have practiced more.
0: Okay, so maybe she helped him. Think about this alternate universe he gets in, he gets in a car accident, he never gets in the symphony. That could have happened.
1: Would that have been her fault, though?
0: It would have not been her fault, because she never, because he got in. Now you're confusing me, i <laughs> trying to think about all these alternate dimensions. But if Jennifer never sent it, boom, she doesn't sabotage his career. He gets in a car accident. I Okay, are you trying to say that in an alternate dimension, Jennifer would still need to do something in his life?
1: Well, yeah, I think simply the only reason that we can say that she is at fault and she owes this to him is because she did something that caused a different outcome than what would have otherwise been by his own autonomous decision. Like She was making decisions for him that caused his life to go a different way, which also took away from a lot of financial value that he would have had.
0: Okay, I can see that. I'm st- I still don't agree with the amount. I think it's a bit high. I could easily cut that in half. Even like 50000 to to 100000 is, or maybe even like a year of tuition at that Colburn University. I have no idea how much it costs. Probably not $260,000. But that's it. That's way too much. <laughs> You're going to the wrong school. True. Yeah, I just, I just think it's too much. I think you're. Uh, she didn't mean to try to ruin his life. I don't think she had bad intentions behind it. I think, you know, she was very much in love, very much confused, did something stupid. I don't think she meant to sabotage his career the way that he thought it did. Um, so I don't think we need to ruin her life. Right. But I do also see the case of she committed fraud. So maybe. Take away the fine, put her in jail for a few
1: years. I also wonder whether or not she felt any remorse.
0: Ooh, that's... Because she didn't show up to the court date. She didn't show up. Ooh, that is interesting. That's a whole new layer to this thing.
1: Because I think that changes the story a little bit, too. If she felt so guilty that she didn't want to show up and face her ex, that's one thing. If she just didn't care, that's a whole other story, perhaps some like restorative measures should have taken place.
0: Yeah, because I could definitely, I feel like if she did show up to court, it would be a lot less. You think? Yeah, because I think the judge probably saw this as, oh, she doesn't care. She probably doesn't have any remorse for her actions throw the book at her. Interesting. I definitely think that might have been the case.
1: There was the large sum and then he tacked on another twenty five hundred, <laughs> right? For two different things. Yeah. What were those two other things?
0: Oh my gosh, you did more research than me. This is embarrassing.
1: No, it was in it was in the article. I know,
0: yeah, it was um I think that was in Canadian dollars. I think it ended up being around like four hundred and two thousand in told or something, potentially.
1: Okay. One of them was for emotional damage or something.
0: Yeah, I know that's yeah, emotional damage and Take over the podcast for a second, Andy. We need to get to the bottom of this.
1: I wonder if emotional damage is something that can be quantified by dollar value. And now that I'm saying that, it's well, interesting. Well, that's the same thing as yeah. you saying
0: you can't put a price on a heartbreak.
1: I know. Well, I mean, when you frame it as heartbreak as opposed to framing it as... <laughs> Training for your future career. But yeah, I think that's it didn't sound within the article as if they had done very much much research into what this man needed for his mental health and his mental sanity. And so I found it interesting that they threw on some money for those damages.
0: Yeah, so Eric sued for $300,000 Canadian dollars in damages, if Mm -hmm. you guys want to do that quick math. A judge in Ontario concluded that he lost at least that much between the scholarship money he missed out on and the delay to his musical career. The judge added an additional $25,000 Canadian as punishment for morally reprehensible conduct and another $25,000 in damages for the incompensatable personal loss suffered by Mr. April Met Abram Malvitz by having a closely held personal dream snatched away from him by a person he trusted. I don't think you can quantify that though. Yeah. Like, I could literally say, oh, I want to be the biggest podcast in the world, and then I post your episode, and it completely bombs my mm-hmm. podcast. I can't sue you for that, yeah. because the path I would have taken after that is all my doing. It has nothing to do with you. Right. I think that's the same with this situation on Jennifer. Yeah, she fucked over Eric, mm-hmm. but his decision after that shouldn't be her fault
1: what was the decision after that
0: well he ended up going to like usc and going to a less prestigious program and then contacting Gilad. but say if he worst case scenario he gets super depressed and kills himself okay now that i'm thinking and talking through it it makes more sense never mind forget everything (laughs) i just said okay (laughs) but okay the closest i was i want to ask you this though Hmm. a lot of times a lot of these stories we have on the show they don't need to be news stories do you think this needed to be as public as it became? Because the way I'm thinking about it is a musician is defined by who they are. You know, sometimes the, it's not even the music that defines them. It's what they do around the music. So now this guy has this major travesty news story connected to his name. So who are you going to select if you're the Toronto Symphony? Are you going to select this ordinary clarinetist? Or are you going to select this clarinetist who had this dramatic thing happen in his life that are going to get people in the seats because they want to see this guy?
1: I don't think so. That might circle back to me being a painful optimist, but I imagine within the world of orchestral music, personality is much less defining of an artist than skill. At least as far as I know, because I mean, compared to how many pop artists you can name, how many orchestral musicians can you name?
0: Yeah, I guess that's very true. Like I know Kanye because Kanye does Kanye things.
1: Right. Yeah. That makes sense. But I don't know. Perhaps I also think that um, sometimes people within orchestra and symphony are a little prestigious, and I don't know if they would get down to a point of getting someone taking someone for their name alone because they're kind of pretentious that way.
0: Were you pretentious as a clarinetist?
1: No. <laughs> no, fair question, though. Absolutely not. No, my actually, my directors were quite disappointed in me because I did not put in the effort that they wanted from me. I started as a very good clarinetist because I have a fair amount of natural inclination to music. Because You also know, play very, piano, you know, right? Play a little piano, played saxophone and jazz band. I sing sometimes. So I, I can naturally do instruments pretty well. So I started off great. I was first chair for the first three years. And then I never practiced. And my poor band directors slowly saw my chair move down and down <laughs> as the women who, it was primarily women. We had a couple of men, but um who actually practiced, moved
0: up. Yeah, I was definitely that same way in, in athletics. It was yeah. very natural talent. And then mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm so much better than everyone. And then as you go up the levels, right. it's like, maybe I'm not as good <laughs> as these <laughs> kids who are right away. practicing 12 hours a day. Yeah. Well, anyways, guys, that was Musician Wins $260,000 in lawsuit against ex-girlfriend who sabotaged their career. If anyone has any crazy ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend stories, please leave those in the comments down below. All right, Annie, story number two. We're one story down. We got... 72 more stories to go. This is a really long one.
1: Good. Looking forward to uh, it. <laughs>
0: if you're on a desert island, what three things would you bring with you?
1: Oh, man. Or do you want Can to I do bring a, a human? Sure. Okay.
0: Well, it Depends. What what human? My brother. Okay. Yeah, I don't know your brother, so I don't know if he's maybe a survival expert or not. As oh, long as he's not a survival expert.
1: No, he just watched a lot of Bear Grylls.
0: Okay, got it. He knows how to drink his own pee. Got there it. There
1: you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, my brother. Also, I need company. I'm a terrible extrovert, and I would probably go crazy due to being alone Isolation before anything else the isolation would bug me so i'd bring him i would bring this is always a hard question because i feel like there's so many caveats depending on what if we did you're movies
0: instead three, three movies? movies yeah
1: oh okay that's a Fair. little easier yeah i would bring the last five years it is a musical uh it was off broadway for a while and then it was made into a film with anna kendrick and jeremy jordan very good something to sing along to something kind of sad Cause it's about a breakup. I like being sad with my art, so <laughs> so it's good. But then we need something uplifting too. So probably the Lion King.
0: Very good movie,
1: and it's fantastic. That's a why classic. I went to
0: Africa. Is that movie
1: inspiring? I'd say. And then uh, Slumdog Millionaire.
0: What would be that first? What would be the first movie out of those three that you think you'd get sick of first?
1: The Lion King. I think so
0: Yeah, I think I have I definitely yeah I think I would go with The Lion King I don't know if you've seen this movie Short Term 12 with Brie Larson no
1: I've never heard it's about like
0: it. uh, she's working in this 16 to 18, 18 year old adoption or not adoption house but house for kids who okay. um, aren't don't have parents why can't I think Orphans? of it? The, yes, there you okay, go. Okay, I was Jesus, wondering if wow. you were avoiding
1: it for, like, PC reasons. <laughs> no, but. I just
0: could not think of. But anyways, that's a good movie. Okay. And then my all-time favorite movie, Goodfellas. So that's yes. just, like, three hours, and that would take up my whole time on the
1: island. you want to know a secret? Yeah, I'll go I've for it. I've never seen Goodfellas.
0: That was the, probably, growing up, The first movie I heard swear words on. Whoa,
1: big deal.
0: It's a very graphic movie. (laughs) So watching that as a kid was, it definitely shaped who I am as a person today. Very good movie. I would highly recommend it though. It's about almost three hours. So it's definitely, you need to take the time to sit down and watch it properly.
1: That is intense.
0: Anyway, speaking of all these island questions. Japanese hermit forced to give up his remote island paradise after nearly 30 years. This is from the Telegraph UK. I'm probably going to butcher this guy's... First name, Masafumi Nagasaki, was living, that actually sounded pretty good, was living in a state of perfect bliss spending days wandering naked and alone on a Pacific island, watching baby turtles hatch from eggs and foraging for fun. That is, until reports of his ill health prompted police to take him away from his Robinson Crusoe-like existence and forced him into rejoining mainstream Japanese society. Mr. Nagasaki, age 82, had been living on the remote island of Soto-Banari for nearly 30 years after he decided to escape the hamster wheel of urban life in Japan. Would you ever want to leave modern society?
1: I would say yes, but if I could guarantee that I could come back and not be completely negatively affected by that time away.
0: Yeah, because you just said you don't like isolation. So Right.
1: Yeah, the isolation would be an issue, but also being removed from a society that is so shaped by and in and of itself. To not be a part of it for a while would be challenging to seamlessly weave back in. I think I, well, myself and everybody are so defined by what we live in. And so it would be great probably from a self-development perspective to get away for a while. But if ever I want to re-embed myself into that, I don't think I can be away for too long.
0: I definitely feel like I could do it for extended periods. Hmm. I don't think I could stay away for 30 years. I think that's a bit too long. Uh, But it's very mind clearing like I'm someone who likes isolation. I like the fact to be with myself to figure out whatever I need to figure out in my life. I feel doing that best when I'm by myself because it's just such an easier thing to be with your thoughts and to really think about things as many possible ways. I'm someone who thinks about something many possible ways as possible. That was a bad sentence. But anyways, you got the idea. Being able to have that alone time and be able to have that silence definitely helps. So it's interesting that I can't see how you see it as not liking isolation when I like isolation. Mm -hmm. It's a very different side of the coin there.
1: That is really interesting.
0: Continuing on. Oh, I wanted to bring this one. It's uh, interesting that this guy's from Japan, because I don't know about you. You heard about this recent story where Japan literally apologized to the entire world because of... This worker was caught leaving for lunch three minutes early. What? Yeah, the country of <laughs> Japan literally apologized to everyone because this worker was caught on like a national TV thing or something leaving work for three minutes early.
1: Oh my goodness, I was waiting for you to finish that story. But that was the end. That's unbelievable. I thought it was gonna be like he left three minutes early and then caused a cra- train to crash and multiple people died. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I think he ended up getting fired if that helps you. Oh
1: my goodness.
0: Yeah, but so I I could easily see why Mr. Uh, Nagasaki wanted to leave Japan. If this is the type of like work life they have there,
1: really intense.
0: But yeah, yeah, I know Japan is like really intense. They're very much about the PR of their company and how mm-hmm. other people see them. Anyway, so police re- had received reports from a group of people that Mr. Nagasaki appeared to be weak and in ill health. Was diagnosed with just the flu. Uh, following the visit, though, once he got onto the mainland, he was told he couldn't go back. So imagine making your home someplace for 30 years and then somebody telling you can't go back. That has to be devastating for someone.
1: It almost seems inhumane too to not allow someone the autonomy to decide how they're going to live their life and where. I don't well, know, I that's think, kind of frightening.
0: I think you are thinking from a very Western perspective.
1: That's probably true.
0: Because in the East, you know, they have crazy work schedules. I think this was a very good PR move. Mm-hmm. Japan because they're very much about their image because if you think about it from their side of the scope they had they own this island it's I pretty sure it's can or owned by the government of Japan imagine if you get headlines in America Japan lets man die on private island or
1: I suppose yeah very dependent upon the way it's framed.
0: But I, I definitely see, and also in Eastern culture, I know elderly people are like held to very high standards. They're right. like very cared about. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was just something like that is, oh, there's they see this elderly gentleman and they want to help them.
1: Yeah, I I think that's really fair. I wonder, I've always thought of Japan, and I really do not know very much about Japanese culture at all, but I've always thought of of it as a much more individualistic culture than most eastern nations.
0: What do you mean by individualist?
1: Like individualist, like the United States is very, and most of the west, you forge your own path and are doing things for yourself rather than being part of communal culture, or there's a, there's another word for the opposite okay. it. Regardless, it's thinking about yourself as working and living for yourself and your immediate family, as opposed to thinking of yourself as part of a fabric, like a culture or a community. Mm-hmm. I always thought that Japan as a Western nation is a little bit removed, or as an Eastern nation is a little bit removed from that.
0: They're kind of their own separate thing. Why don't you think they're connected to what other Eastern cultures do?
1: I think, well, I imagine... Part of it has to do with geographically they're more isolated than other Eastern cultures. Because they're an island, right? Because they are an okay. island, a string of islands. Yes. I think secondarily they have slightly easier access to the United States and to the West being near to it. I'm
0: going to look up, because um, I know China is communist. Right. Japan is also communist. Really? Yeah, the Japanese Communist Party.
1: As I said, I know almost nothing about Japan. (laughs) I just have an image in my head of Japanese culture being um, much more like, like if you're living in somewhere like... Tokyo, it's going to be more similar to a Manhattan.
0: Yeah, I definitely, I could definitely um, see that Japan maybe is a little more Western than mm-hmm. like China would be or mm-hmm. India for something of like that matter. But to continue on with Mr. Nagasaki's story, he was once married with two children and he first arrived on the island in 1989, planning to stay for only a couple of years, but discovered that he enjoyed his newfound lifestyle and environment more than the one he once left behind because Japan punishes you for leaving three minutes early for lunch. Mr. Nagasaki stated... In civilization, people treated me like an idiot and made me feel like one. On this island, I don't feel like one. Here on the island, I don't do what people tell me to do. I just follow nature's rules. You cannot dominate nature, so you have to obey it completely. I think that's a very good sentiment of (laughs) modern society. We're very structured in everything we do. I know you said, like, we can forge our own path. But I feel like that's very limited. Going back to Eric from the previous story, his path was very limited by he needed to get that scholarship. He needed to get into this prestigious program. And he eventually did, but it was very limited to he needed to do this, he needed to do that. In nature, you're just doing whatever nature tells you is going to happen. So I really like that sentiment about, I know we're both very big nature lovers, so I definitely would love to be more in tune with nature. And mm-hmm. I think that goes back to isolation. And do you, Maybe this is a good question. Do You feel isolated in nature, or do you see nature as something or just an environment?
1: I see it as something, so I would say I don't feel isolated to a certain extent. But I suppose when I'm thinking of isolation or using that term, I'm thinking as a social being, I prefer to have somebody or something with which I can bounce ideas, which is typically a somebody because that's going to be a person who can reply. I'm also very much an external processor, so I
0: yeah, you don't want to sit there talking to trees.
1: Right, and they don't respond. I mean, I feel trees, like I eventually would, I would if you're out
0: there trees. far enough or long enough, they will start responding. You
1: think? <laughs> should test that out someday. I don't know. I can talk to animals because sometimes they respond a little bit or you can imagine them responding as if a human.
0: Or they give like social cues. And...
1: Right, yeah. I hope that doesn't sound crazy. No, but... you did
0: try to talk to a crow on the way here. So it was a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, that did not happen. That did not
1: <laughs> Crows, I my grandpa has a cool story about a crow. It's kind of sad, but he was, his neighbor was cleaning out the gutters on his roof, on a ladder, and this crow landed next to him and said something along the lines of, what are you doing with that? The but crow did. The crow did, because they're like parrots. I didn't realize they were as smart, I mean, or as able.
0: They are very smart.
1: That's unbelievable. Or like if one crow realizes that you can be harmed in an area crows never go back there mm. and like all of them don't it's not just the one that learned by oh, something yeah Kavlovian. they like
0: literally have councils or like meetings where a bunch of crows get together and just like talk I don't know what the crows <laughs> talk about but funny yeah. but
1: that story with the crow the talking crow ended with the man falling off the ladder and being horribly damaged this so is it was your gr- sad grandpa it was my grandpa's neighbor
0: oh cool. mm-hmm. okay. so my
1: grandpa was fine in this story The crow was fine. The man broke a few bones.
0: Wow. I mean, I definitely would probably be freaked out if a crow talked to me.
1: Right. No, it's not something you expect.
0: I'm always, like, expecting, like, a dog to talk back to because I work with dogs a lot. Yeah. I'm always expecting just one day a dog's just going to be like, hey, dude, what's up? And then never say anything again.
1: Would you tell anybody?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I, I would have to ponder it and, like, just whatever I'm feeling in the moment. Maybe, like, what state of mind I was in. Like, if I was in, like, a clear state of mind, I probably would. But if I was, like, maybe drunk, something like that, I'd be like, did I imagine that? And But I just imagine, like, one day something crazy like that's going to happen.
1: I'm sure.
0: But back to Mr. Nagasaki, let's wrap this baby up. Before being forced off the island, Mr. Nagasaki stated that he had found his paradise and wanted to stay there indefinitely and hope to die on the island. I won't leave, even if someone tells me there's a better place. All that I want, I can find here. I don't need anything else. I already told my family that I will die here. I want to be killed by a typhoon so nobody can try to save me. Um, besides, obviously, the depressing ending there. I think it's he had a good message about finding your own paradise and trying to do whatever you can possibly do to protect it. I think the main goal in life is to be happy. Mm -hmm. That's definitely something that is always my number one goal is be happy, find ways to be happy, work towards being happy. And I feel like along the way, you find your paradise. And once you get to that paradise, that journey that you took there is very long. It's very hard. And you wanna do everything you can to protect it, no matter who tries to step in the way, either an ex-girlfriend or the government of Japan. So I very much like this closing sentiment of, When you find what makes you happy, do whatever you can to protect it.
1: I like that as well. That's really interesting. It reminds me, though, of a quote. It's find find what you love and let it kill you. Very similar idea. I think that the first time that I read that quote, I interpreted it as let your love be so painful that you slowly die in it. And this conversation has made me rethink that. And perhaps it's more of a just stay with your happiness until you die.
0: I think even going up like going off of what you said a little bit is I think happiness is always changing. I think mm-hmm. it's an ever evolving thing. That's why it's so hard to define what makes you happy cuz one day it may be something different or at a different age it may be something different. So I definitely think yeah it's always about the pursuit of happiness and letting maybe this is maybe this is the new saying. Always pursue happiness and let that pursuit kill you. Okay. That doesn't sound as poetic. I feel like there's some some poem or some poet can probably make that more let the pursuit kill you because mm-hmm. I think when you're in the pursuit of happiness, you're going to be happy. I think that's mm-hmm. the reach around. I think you're never going to actually reach that true happiness that you think you're going to reach because that journey to reach true happiness is actually the happiness you've been looking for the whole time. It's oh, like a beautiful. cheesy rom-com.
1: And also, you know what I, else I like about your rephrasing of it is it's more active. The pursuit is something that you can be doing consistently until death, right? But if it's just sit in your happiness, that's very passive. That's not a happy way to die.
0: No, it's because I've, I've heard stories on the internet multiple times where people have found their dream jobs and they're not happy. Because what else is there to do now that you've reached your goal in life? Right. I definitely, yeah, I think the pursuit is incredibly important in
1: life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a directionally driven culture. You have your eyes on the prize. If you make it there, you're done. That, that does make a lot of sense. It's interesting.
0: Well, speaking of pursuits, after you rob a bank, you get pursued by the cops. Annie, have you ever thought about robbing a bank before? Yes. Also, how awesome was that segue into the next story?
1: That was really beautiful. <laughs>
0: I think that's, I have also, we'll have to probably cut this out just just in case the FBI comes knocking our doors. But I've also thought about robbing a bank multiple times. But I I think it's also because it's been romanticized so much in Mm. movies and TV shows. It seems like such a cool thing to do, like Bonnie and Clyde, and just do stuff like that. But I definitely feel like it's a lot worse than we think it is. But I would definitely still want to rob a bank.
1: It would be an interesting experience. Honestly, the only time I've ever thought about it is in the exact context of something that I've seen on TV or in a movie such as that episode of Black Mirror where they're all being blackmailed. Do you know the one I'm talking? Do you watch Black Mirror? I, yeah,
0: I watch it. Yeah, you'll um, Well, this is actually a funny thing. Today's episode is sponsored by Black Mirror. <laughs> no, it's not. I wish that would be awesome. That would but be amazing. Black Mirror hit me up. Anyways, yeah. what episode was that? was explaining
1: that sorry. Oh, it was one um I can't remember the title of the episode, but oh, they were okay. all being blackmailed by the kid their was text watching messages. the right.
0: the child porn.
1: And he was filmed. Yeah, and so he's being blackmailed with that and it was a chain of blackmails, but he and another man and were coerced into robbing a bank
0: yes so I, I was like oh that. my
1: gosh would I do that if I were being blackmailed what would it take to blackmail me
0: do you have enough dirt on you that someone could blackmail you into robbing a bank
1: I don't think so haven't lived enough yet I guess shit damn it were you hoping to uncover was, something yeah good? I was hoping to uncover <laughs>
0: something good that someone could blackmail you with the bank.
1: that would have been a serious downfall to coming on the show with you <laughs>
0: But, yeah, I think it would, like, I've always planned it out, just a small-town bank, just in the middle of nowhere, just maybe, like, in Texas. No, not Texas, because they have carry permits. Somewhere where they don't have, where people can't carry guns on them, because they don't want to die. Maybe somewhere in, like,
1: Maine. Would you carry a weapon?
0: No. No, because if you get caught, that's, like, an extra 10 years.
1: Mm -hmm. I would pretend
0: to have a weapon. I'd do, like, the shirt thing.
1: Oh, yeah, the two fingers behind the shirt? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: But, yeah, eventually, we're going to cut this all out so the FBI doesn't track us down, but... Brilliant. All right, out of money and out of time... 70-year-old turns to bank robbing. This is from the Portland Press-Herald. And, quick fact, the Portland that we're talking about this is in Maine. I was reading this story, and I was like, this sounds like a Portland thing. And then I realized it was in Maine. I was like, oh, well, okay. Whatever. (laughs) Anyways, Donald Sturton couldn't pay his bills. His social security check barely covered the rent of his South Portland apartment, South Portland in Maine. He wasn't getting enough hours from the cab company that employed him to cover the rest of his expenses. His car needed work. He had blown through his savings, and he to cancel his cable. Pressure had been mounting for good old Donald. So Donald Sturton decided to do what any red-blooded American would do, rob a bank. So this is what he did. Wearing a bright yellow rain jacket and brandishing a pistol-style squirt gun that he used to train his cats to stay off the furniture, Sturton robbed his local Bank of America for $895 before walking to a nearby parking lot where police were waiting to arrest him. He didn't run or struggle. This is what he wanted. First off, I want to ask, before we go, into more story what would you say okay we both want to rob a bank we're gonna do that later today whatever (laughs) how much would you need to rob from a bank to make it in your mind a success
1: i think at least at least six months rent like something that could sustain me for at least a half a year that would make it seem kind of worth that so
0: think. like in the ten to fifteen thousand range.
1: Yeah, definitely not a dollars.
0: Yeah, definitely you have to be over ten G. Right. To be able to because then you can have like them in little stacks and be like, yo, oh, look at all my bank robbing money. Oh yeah. I would definitely get arrested right away. I'll just buy a whole bunch <laughs> of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so Donald was arrested on charges of robbery, which is a class C felony and terrorizing a class D misdemeanor with a bail set at five thousand dollars. Can't even pay his cable so he can't pay his bail. Donald said, I just figured maybe you'd be better off getting locked up it would resolve a lot of issues in a stupid kind of way so this as soon as i heard him say it i thought exactly this. It's insane that people either think to get out of their tough situation is either to kill yourself or rob a bank. That's completely just blows my mind that people get to that point where those are their two options. And maybe robbing a bank isn't always on everyone's mind, but something like that, where either kill yourself or do something drastic. It's very interesting that people can get to that point where they think that's their only two options in life.
1: Right. And I wonder if that's primarily because we make access to those solutions So challenging. Like, it's not very easy to go somewhere where you can find free resources about self-financing or ensuring that you save enough money to be able to sustain yourself through retirement or if it's because well it's probably a combination of both probably also partially we have a lot of stigma on mental health and I know that this man struggled with mental health and undoubtedly most people who kill themselves are struggling with mental health as well and we don't have access to those resources either.
0: I definitely yeah I definitely think it's it's a very tough thing to fix because not everyone wants to talk about it. Not everyone wants to have these type of conversations we're having. Mm -hmm. And I think it's incredibly important to have those type of conversations. I think, you know, we've had conversations on this podcast about the gender wage gap. We've had about school shootings, about um, racial equality. I think it's very important to have an open discussion with as many people as possible that are willing to listen. And it's okay if you're on different sides of the spectrum, but to be able to sit down and listen to what the both sides think is, I think, incredibly important. I think that's going to change, completely change the way we live in the future, is if we can sit down have a discussion and come to some sort of
1: resolution. Absolutely. Or even simply understanding. To engage in a dialogue and understand why people believe what they believe can be really beneficial, I think, in seeing perspective.
0: And even going back to Donald's statement about he thinks his life would be better in a, in a jail cell, that's concerning. Because you always hear the joke, it's like, oh, I can just go to jail. It's a roof over my head, three meals a day. I mean, that's, it's, it's, hilarious, whatever, but it's also like concerning that people think this is a way of life. It's like, oh, I'll just go to jail and that will solve all my problems. You're still going to have those problems when you leave jail. I think a lot of people do it when they're moving. They think, oh, I'm going to move across the country and that's going to solve all my problems. Your problems are always going to be there until you fix them. Uh, Continuing on the story, you know, Donald eventually is trying to turn his life around. I think you need to work on those problems first before trying to find a drastic solution.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And And it sounds like Donald's problems are primarily surrounding surrounding mental health, right? Yeah. If I remember correctly, yeah. And even in the article when he was being interviewed for it, he didn't want to talk about it very much. He was very hesitant to discuss it and that absolutely is within his jurisdiction. He can talk about whatever he wants to talk about. But I wonder if a lot of the reason that he didn't want to is because we stigmatize mental health and mental pain. Like, imagine if you had, when you were born, a primary care physician and you had a psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist. Somebody that was your point person for your physical health and someone that your your point person for your mental health. We live in such a different world.
0: We live in Canada.
1: He, is that what happens in Canada?
0: Well, they get free healthcare, so I just assume.
1: That everyone's yeah. going through mental health. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Maybe not. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but.
1: I don't know. Uh, I,
0: yeah, I, th- I definitely think it's. I think he didn't tell the news because to him, or, and I think people with mental health in general, think it's weak to share this thing. Right. It's like you didn't choose to do this. It's not, you're not weak for doing it. It's just something that happened in your life. And I think getting across that stigma of mental health being weak will definitely change a lot of what we do in the future on fixing it and uh, moving forward to a more positive conversation.
1: Absolutely. And I think you nailed it. I think a lot of it has to do with the language that we use because, I mean, you talk about people who are struggling with mental health as crazy or insane or weak, as you mentioned. But then, I mean, someone who is struggling with cancer and battling cancer is a fighter and strong. And not to take away from that at all, amazing people who are battling cancer, but like also people who are battling mental health issues should be uplifted in the same way.
0: Yeah, that's that is like a perfect analogy. That was spot on. But yeah, I think it, I think it's just very interesting that something like this needs to happen for even this conversation to happen. We want to just hang out and talk about mental health. That's it's true. Not a normal <laughs> thing to talk about. It yeah. takes like a story like Donald trying to yeah. rob a bank with the squirt gun to talk about mental health. That's that's interesting. That's that interesting is. to me. But I also want to talk. I want, I want to go back to Japan for one second here. So apparently, elderly people in Japan are getting arrested on purpose because it's much better than living in a modern day Japan. Wow. Yeah, Japan has the world's oldest population and the aging population is putting an increased strain on Japan's financial system and retail industry. So Japan, one of the oldest countries in the world and people are still working. Because I think in 2017, this is America, 9 million Americans over the age of 65 were working. So this is even, I think, um, how old was he? He was 70 years old, is how do we properly care for the older generation? We're getting into a time in our lives where medical advances and technology we're living longer. What are your just basic ideas on how do we treat the older generation better? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I don't know. I think that's really a challenge. And uh, I mean, as we discussed earlier, having such an individualistic nature, it's more challenging to be supported or less common perhaps to be supported by your family as you're growing older, which I think is not as much the case in more Eastern cultures. But I mean, part of what the issue was in this story was that his social security was not supporting him in the way that it should have been.
0: I think so it was I, about 1200 a month was the Social Security.
1: And that is just not enough. You to, don't think that's enough? I think that you could, I think that you could probably make it. On the other hand, if somebody, it's a lot of factors here, right? He has been living a specific lifestyle his whole life, is now retired, didn't save his money well enough to be able to sustain himself on both social security and what he had saved. Perhaps had he more education in how to save his money, this would have been different. Perhaps if he had more money with the social security it would have been different. I did think it was interesting that the article noted that the straw that broke the camel's back was cable. <laughs> like, yeah, that was.
0: <laughs> that's the thing I was like thinking like with that included it was like he could have done so many other things first. Like he could have got a cheaper apartment. He's right. on social security. His um, monthly income probably would support like section housing or some like cheap rental housing. There's actually a thing in the story where he said um, about living in like an older person's community. He doesn't want to live with other 70 or 80 or Year olds. Right. So I definitely think he is a big problem in the situation. Yeah, cable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't watched cable in months. You don't <laughs> need <fine>. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go outside, meet people. What was the other thing? A cab company? Cabs are going out of business. Do Uber. Probably right. makes so much more money. But there was there's like so many steps Donald could have... T- taken to fix these problems, but he didn't want to.
1: Or did he not know about them?
0: I think he did because he you also think? says, I could have helped myself out and I didn't. I just didn't want to. I don't know if it's pride or what. There are probably so many out there that are living on $600 or $700 a month and they don't rob banks. I think that apart on when he said, I don't know if it's pride or what, I think it's pride. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a perfect sentiment for people, especially Americans. I very much believe pride is like a silent killer mm-hmm. in America because no one wants to ask for help. everyone wants to do it on their own and I think this was a case of if he just asked for help if You know, he could go to the library and find books on finance and you could ask I'm sure there's plenty of programs for elderly people to get help. It's just he didn't want to. It's hard to feel bad for someone who puts themselves in that situation when there's so many opportunities to get out.
1: Interesting. I don't
0: know how you feel about that but that's definitely where I stand.
1: Do you think that it's part of our responsibility to adjust our social structures aligned with what our culture is? So let's say we adjust the method by Which we deliver information about self finance, making it either more mandatory within school or making those resources very public and much more free so people can feel like they're making an independent decision because that is what our culture is. Or rather than shifting our social structures to match our culture, is it our responsibility to attempt to shift a culture to match social structures that are in place?
0: I think that's actually a bit about, you know, we're in a very, we're in a capitalist um, place where you have to build your own way up. And I think that's very important because I think going back to pride, that the pride is a huge American thing. We have pride mm-hmm. for everything. Fourth of July is coming up. I think this episode will be coming out the fifth or the sixth. What day is Thursday? Anyway, it'll be come out after Independence Day. But anyways, pride is such an important thing that yes, I do believe there should be more financial classes in high school that are mandatory. Because I know in, at my high school at least, there were classes for financial things. Well, it's like you're 16, 17, 18. I don't want to take those classes. I yeah. want to learn about the creation of Rome. Or, I mean, I'm, I like history. So obviously, Like more history things, but I'm not interested in financing. That's something that's not interesting to me at that age. But if it's mandatory, that's going to help me. I think you have to change a little bit of both. I think the culture, I think a capitalist culture doesn't really work in these times because there's so many things out there that help you. But to do it by yourself is something that can severely make you rob a bank because you feel like you have to do it by yourself. I, I see somewhere a perfect world uh, in between capitalist and socialism. Somewhere in between there where we want to build up these big corporations. We want to build not sorry, that was not what I wanted to say.
1: <laughs> we want to build up
0: these small businesses, we want, but we also want to share in everything we
1: do. -hmm.
0: I think going back to what we talked about before and working together, I think that's super important, but in a capitalist market, that's not the goal. It's not I want to make more money than you. That's our goal in this market. And that's and that's insane, Mm because people are stepping over other people. You know, we talked about money being more important than anything else in life. And that's wrong. Uh, We should definitely be more into the place of, hey, I'm going to get to this high level. But I also want to bring you with I want to bring you with I want to bring you with I don't know, it's just I don't want to get too much into it. But I think it's really important that we start very much not going too deep into socialism, but somewhere in the middle where we get the best of both worlds. kind
1: of. I think that is a really beautiful way of framing democratic socialism, which I think often is perceived as something that is taking away from those with rather than bringing up those without. So thank you for that, in my opinion. Yeah, no, <laughs> that was bring, beautiful. I'm bringing
0: it out. Uh, but anyways, I, we'll just have to move on from the story because we could go on for hours about that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, like I said, Donald, he should have planned his life better. I don't think it's fair to... He was other people of doing him wrong when he had the opportunity to do right. But we also shouldn't be in a place where going to jail is easier than trying to turn your life around. That's that's all I have to say. What are, you have any closing arguments on it?
1: No, I think that sums it up. There are certainly a lot of problems with him individually, and it reflects a problematic culture.
0: Interesting. Well, are you ready for the last story of the day? Absolutely. We've gotten some good discussions here. So I want to ask you about space. Give me your thoughts on the greater unknown.
1: Ah, do I have them though? Because I feel that any thoughts that I have about space are just kind of squished by what space is. We don't know very much at all. And it's fascinating what we do know. Because, I mean, as in discussion about nearly any other topic... I think the more you learn, the more questions you have to yeah. ask about it, right? And with things such as, I mean, we also have a lot of unknowns within our own oceans on this planet, right? So oceans, space, lots of things to discover. And I don't think that I have many thoughts about it because both of them are so vast that I, I don't think it's tangible enough for me to think clearly about.
0: So no thoughts on, like, extraterrestrial beings?
1: Oh, there's something out there.
0: life? Okay.
1: Right? I feel like that...
0: It's too big. That's kind of
1: undeniable. It's like,
0: I like that you brought up the ocean, because a lot of people forget about the ocean. Right. We have not explored even the surface. It's crazy. It's nuts. And when we go down even deeper, they're finding all these new species. Right. So to say, on our own planet, there's things not that we haven't discovered, and then say, space, which is infinite, mm-hmm. there's nothing out there? Yeah. I don't like that argument that people use.
1: I agree. Space and history
0: are like my two topics that I just love. I'm very much the kind of person on, I feel like I missed out on the exploration of like South America, finding a path to China. That stuff really interests me. But I'm also not in the generation where we're going to be able to do space exploration. So I'm Mm -hmm. like right in the middle, I'm like, ah, dang. I think, yeah, I think space is important. Uh I think that's where we're going. I think we're not interested in Mm -hmm. exploring our oceans. Mm Because I don't think from a PR perspective that it's interesting. Mm. I think it's very interesting to explore our oceans, but compared to space and an ocean, people are going to know. People care more about space. Right. Uh, the moon landing was like watched by thousands, millions of people, not thousands, millions and millions of people. But you have people like the channel or not the challenger. Who was the director of Titanic who went down like deep into Titanic or?
1: I have no idea. Oh.
0: But there's been, like, very deep dives into the ocean, and mm-hmm. it hasn't garnered anywhere as near as much attention as going to space. Definitely think space is the final frontier. <laughs> uh, but anyway, speaking of space, space force and air force will be separate but equal branches, Trump says. It's from ABC 15, Arizona. Annie, what are your thoughts on President Trump?
1: <laughs> Do we want to talk about (laughs) Trump for a while?
0: That answer is (laughs) enough. During a meeting at the National Space Council, President Trump addressed his recent decision to potentially establish the newest military branch, Space Force. This is what he said. I I was going to do the accent, but I don't think I can pull it off. Mm
1: -hmm. We must
0: have American dominance in space. Very importantly, I'm hereby directing the Department of Defense, and Pentagon to immediately begin the process necessary to establish the Space Force as the sixth branch of the Armed Forces. That's a big step. We are going to have the Air Force and we are going to have the Space Force, separate but equal. It is going to be something so important. I just, I can't get over his diction. It's just the, the weirdest things, but th- okay, I don't, I want to <laughs> look look past the diction. Space Force, yes or no? And I can go into a little background on Space Force. So Space Force would be a military branch that conducts Space War. Warfare. Not Star Wars space warfare, but would be responsible for satellite traffic and mitigating debris in space. So we're not at that level of Star Wars where you can have space battles, which would be super awesome. Right. Uh, but anyways, it would just be responsible for the traffic in space. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, we have a space division as part of the Air Force, which is the Air Force Space Command. But this would split that those two branches up. So the Air Force and Space Force, separate but equal. Annie, what are your thoughts on Space
1: Force? I think that, well, I'm going to start with a hypothetical. What if we placed the job of controlling space debris and traffic in space under the EPA? Because I I mean, I'm put on edge by the fact that this needs to be a force, a militial force, primarily because, I mean, I'm a little off-put by most militial things in the United States, but... It sounds to me that this is a lot of trying to contain our effects on space, making sure that we're not doing too much to negatively affect an area that we don't even know almost anything about yet. I think it sounds more of an environmental concern. Granted, it's not an Earth environment, right? But it seems more of an environmental concern than a militia one.
0: I definitely, I had never even thought of that side of the coin. And I'm definitely glad that you brought that up. It's like, yeah, it is. It would make more sense as an environmental, I think just the wording is very off-putting. It's like Space Force. It's like, it reminds me of that movie, ah, shoot, the movie where they're in space and they're fighting bugs on like a desert
1: Man, that's that's not Space Jam. No, I've never space seen Jam Space Jam. Like Michael <laughs> Sorry, Jordan. I just said stuff.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's like Trooper something, or but anyways, it makes you like people remind of that, or we're sending troops into space to fight space battles. Yeah. And I think, and I want to talk more about this later, but I think the fact that's coming out of Trump's mouth, people just are automatically saying, "Oh, this is a bad idea," because uh, I think he has that effect on people. Yeah. Which is he's earned, but also it's it's tough to just say I don't like this person so no matter any idea they have it's a dumb idea because that's I looked more into Space Force and it's actually a pretty good idea. The Air Force and the Army used to be one branch but the Air Force grew big enough and important enough to where we needed to protect our skies that they split up. Mm -hmm. So this has happened before the Navy and the Marines do the same thing. So this is a this happened before and we talked about at the beginning of the story is space is the next thing we want to explore. So I think it's very important that we need something Space related. And I think this is a good idea, but I feel like the fact that it's coming from Trump, people are automatically saying it's a bad idea. I think that's a very dangerous thing. And that's why I really, I mean, there's many reasons why I don't like Trump as president, but that's like a double negative reason, like I, I don't like him as president, because hmm. he could say something really good, but people are automatically going to assume it's bad. I think what that's else?
1: fair. That's something I have to check myself on a lot on too. Especially as you mentioned before, just some of the language that he uses is really challenging to take seriously, but it has a lot of power as well. So it's important to recognize that, I suppose.
0: Well, yeah, and it's like if you people don't realize how much we have in orbit, like how many mm-hmm. satellites, how our GPS, how our weather radar, military stuff. I'm, I'm with you on that. We spend way too much on military, not enough on education. Another time, Annie, another time. <laughs> so I think it's incredibly important that we start thinking about protecting those things. You know, right now there is... The only thing protecting space warfare at the moment is the 1967 Outer Space Treaty, which only prohibits the storage of weapons and mass destruction in orbit. So we have something up there, but I think it's incredibly important because we're starting to get companies like SpaceX with Elon Musk that are making space travel cheaper and easier. I think in 100 years, space is going to be start to be explored. And I think it's very smart that we plan ahead to a point where we're thinking, you know, when you go back to the moon landing, we're trying to race Russia to the moon. And going back to even pride on the last story is we're very prideful people. So it's very important to us to beat Russia to the moon. And I feel like we're kind of falling into that same situation on we want to be control space. I think that's something that, and this, I should also point out, this idea wasn't even originally Trump's. It was like a represent, or it was like a congressman, sorry, uh, from some state who said it or something. And then Trump just took off with it. but anyways I think it's very important that we protect our assets in space if space is going to be the next place that we try to colonize
1: interesting I think that's fair I think I don't know also full disclosure I'm a pacifist so <laughs> I um I just wonder if anticipating challenges in space that will be between humans among humans and violent which i think is a potential that is being accounted for within the development of this program, if that anticipation is what will make it inevitable.
0: Ooh, that's interesting. Like, anticipating everyone talking about World War Three happen... Happening is going to make World War Three happen,
1: right? Yeah, or you think that somebody's going to attack you in space, so you put more force in space, and then all these other nations are like, "Oh my goodness, that's a lot of power they have in space. I need to get up there too and make sure that they're not going to attack." It, the nuclear, it's the nuclear race. It's the same, and it will inevitably be harmful. And it's hard to say where you can stop that if not immediately at the beginning. So this being, I mean, from me, what seems like the beginning of encountering space as a battleground, for lack of a better term, seems like where we should stop it, but it is going to start. And that's nerve wracking.
0: The interesting thing is, like, I definitely have pacifistic tendencies. Right. I think we should definitely work towards peace. I think we should definitely work towards understanding, but I have also very intuned on what history has happened in history. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone who very much believes that history happens over and over and over and over again. And I see this as... History is written by the winners, and I think that, yes, I do believe you that, you know, boom, you start making bombs, they have to make bombs, boom, 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 and then eventually everyone has bombs, everyone's hands on the trigger, and then somebody actually hits the trigger, and it creates a bad situation. But I think there's things that we need to do to somehow get ahead of other countries. And this, actually, we can bring it back to the military versus education debate is, you know, obviously doing a program like this, in the end, I should probably put this out there. In the end, I don't think this is a good idea. I like the sentiment behind it. But first off, we can't even properly fund NASA. So we cut that drastically every year. So how are we going to properly fund this, which is going to cost billions and billions of dollars that we're already in debt to China and other countries like that. So it doesn't make sense. But I think we should stop spending so much money on military and military-like programs like freaking Space Force and try to spend it more on education, because I think it's more important to have smarter humans than stronger humans. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Because I
0: think once you make smarter humans, you make stronger humans, but a more well-rounded
1: mm-hmm.
0: person. Because, oh, you know, now, now that I'm more smarter, I can see more options to potentially resolute something peacefully mm-hmm. instead of having to go to like, oh, maybe, you know, we get smarter humans, we can go and colonize the moon and resources from the moon can pay off our debts. And I'm very much on board with, I guess, the long story short is... I'm very much on board on spending more on education because I think you know we're one of the top countries in the world but we're not even close in education
1: oh yeah no it's very sad we're not investing our money in the right places we are
0: not no Mm -hmm. and Space Force is not something to invest in I very much believe somewhere down the line a more I liked your idea about the EPA being involved I think a more well-rounded space something not force because that's just a negative word is more something that would make sense yeah. Would you want to travel to space?
1: I would have to think so long and hard about that because I wouldn't want to be a consumer of something that I disagree with. So given that right now I disagree with the investment in, you mentioned earlier, SpaceX, I don't think I would do that. Although it's really intriguing and compelling, I as you mentioned before there are other things that I think should be invested in that are closer to home quite literally, more tangible and would be better for the masses rather than solely benefiting the elite who have the You don't think exploring
0: space could affect everyone.
1: Not right now. No. And not and not the way that it's being pursued, I think, by largely what SpaceX is.
0: I kind of have to disagree with you there.
1: Please. Because
0: when we talk about space, people think of it as this very expansive thing. If you model it down to, say, I know Christopher Columbus is a bad person. So I don't want to use this, but just the idea of exploration and trying to find new routes to China and coming across this new country or this new planet. And then eventually we get, you know, America or we get uh, South America, and then we get all of these new resources that help enrich our lives. Um, I think that's very important. So if you look at space on that small scale, you know, light years away, that sounds like a lot, but eventually technology is going to get to the point where light years is a few seconds mm-hmm. and being able to go to different planets, trade with theoretically if there are other beings of our intelligence out there being able to trade and expand our like network, even if you go down to networking, it's like when you're networking you want to network as many people as possible because it helps a common goal and I think it's, I think it's important I think space is very important as a resource for our world as a whole, so that's where I disagree with you there
1: mm-hmm. I think I would agree, I mean certainly lots of potential with what could be discovered and how that could benefit humans, but is space there for the benefit of humans? Is Earth here for the benefit of humans? I don't know. I mean, no, but also somewhat yes, because of the evolutionary development. Like it, we're, it's a mutual. It's supposed to be a mutual benefit. It no longer is. But I don't know.
0: Well, interesting sentiment. I think that's a good. I think that's a good way to end it. It's okay. right there on that. Yeah, that was that was a complete episode of water cooler talk. Any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? Uh, do you want to badmouth the podcast? This is the perfect time.
1: <laughs> no, I had a great time. Thank you for having me on. It was beautiful.
0: Yeah, we had we had some good stories today. We had a musician wins $26,000 in lawsuit against ex-girlfriend who sabotaged career. Japanese hermit forced to give up his remote island paradise after nearly 30 years. Out of money and out of time, seven year old turns to bank robbing. And our final story of the day, Space Force and Air Force will be separate but equal branches, Trump says. Also, we, we didn't talk about this in the last story, but I, we did talk about his diction for a bit, but to use separate and equal when that's very defined to racial equality it's just like a weird thing that I,
1: that was just a facepalm for me yeah. I was just like don't be so sloppy with your language please understand you're <laughs> the
0: president it's yeah. you should be well spo- I think I'll say that was a very big Obama supporter because I think he was very fluent in how he spoke. I really liked the way he spoke. And it's been kind of a very much a fall from grace with (laughs) him. But we don't need to get too much into that. That's just going to go on a whole nother tangent. But anyways, that is Water Cooler Talk, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to my voice, Adam Schultz, and special guest host today, Annie Youngblood. And in case you guys don't know, Water Cooler Talk is on Spotify. We post every other Thursday. We just got a Twitter. So if you guys want to hit us up on Twitter, maybe leave a comment on how we did today. That would be... Be awesome. All right, Annie, I always have the guests close out the show with something. What do you got for me?
1: I have a final thought, something that I've been thinking about lately. Um, Just something to mull over if you're interested. Do you think that you love more from a place of wealth or a place of scarcity? Enjoy that thought.
0: Enjoy that thought, ladies and gentlemen. All right, guys, we will be back in two Thursdays for now. But anyways, let's end it. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world, and while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not, because they're real.